You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Well, let's get to James Thompson, partner at Buybox Experts, former business head of Amazon Web Services or Amazon Services, excuse me, joining us on the phone from Seattle. Hey, James, um, let's go through these numbers here, because even though Charlie talked about them just now, they are certainly worth repeating for Amazon. First quarter net sales beat estimates of $108.5 billion. First quarter operating income beat estimates $8.9 billion. Online stores net sales $52.9 billion handily beating estimates there. And then here's here's the big one. This is the guidance. Sees second quarter net sales 110 billion to 116 billion. The estimate was 108.35 billion. So, how's Amazon doing? <laughs> well, you give me you give me 2 minutes to look over the uh, the earnings numbers as they're rolling. Welcome to my life. <laughs> there you go. So, a couple things to think about for Q2. Um, Amazon's likely going to do Prime Day at the end of June. So, that's going to count in the in the Q2 numbers. Yeah, this is a holiday that Amazon invented, that inspired by uh, all, by Singles all Day. for inventing holidays. If it creates capitalism, <laughs> invent the holiday. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that, that's an Amazon holiday. We're now in year five or six. So Amazon's got most of the kinks worked out in the system. Um, it's interesting to see that they're moving it most likely. And, again, they, they haven't announced the exact date, but all indications suggest that it's going to be uh, before the end of June. It's interesting that they're moving it a little bit earlier um, and I think there's a few interesting things that are that tell us that there may be issues on the horizon. The fact that they're doing Prime Day mm. in June, at the same time that we're seeing Amazon placing big, big bets with brands, uh, you know, we're seeing Amazon placing six to nine months worth of inventory orders all at once. They want to make sure that those products get on the ships, get into the United States, and get into their warehouses before Q4. We haven't seen Amazon do this kind of thing before. Uh, it, it's an interesting move. It means their warehouses are going to be fuller than usual by the time we get to the beginning of Q4. Uh, as much as Amazon has been able to continue to build out its facilities, uh, its different fulfillment facilities, the reality is demand for prime space from both vendors as well as third-party sellers Everybody wants to be prime eligible. That, that's that's the goal, and it's hard to keep up with the demand. And Amazon's struggling, I believe, to, to keep up, and that's going to create a situation where, come Q4, a lot of these uh, successful third-party sellers that have become completely reliant on FBA on the fulfillment by Amazon program, mm-hmm. they're going to find that they can't get enough inventory space. And, and I, I think we're going to see a situation where, between the continued recovery of the economy as COVID gets under control and Amazon struggling with inventory space, I think by the time we get to Q4, that, that's when we're going to see that Amazon has actually um, not been able to keep up with the demand for its its marketplace. So then what happens to Amazon's business? Do we get to the time around the holidays this year and Amazon says, hey, in order to actually get these products to you by the time that you expect, you need to order them by this date, or is it is it something that's that's more severe than that? That that you're actually not able to find what you're looking for on Amazon, and it's not able to get to you. Well, let me be clear. Amazon always puts the customer first, so I don't think we're going to see customers being told that you can't have this, or you you can have it, but you're going to wait much longer than usual. I think instead what we're going to see is companies that sell products that aren't necessarily the absolute top selling items they're going to find it uh, very difficult to get their products into the Amazon warehouses. So consumers are likely going to be moving to a model where 
you can have the best-selling product, but you can't have the fifth best-selling product or the tenth best-selling product. And, you know, Amazon's all about choice. I want to be able to go there to find everything I want. And if I can't find the purple polka dot version I need, where do I go? Well, I don't know where to go after, after looking at Amazon. So th- yeah, that's, that's one major trend I'm looking at, and, and I'm anticipating based on some of the stuff we're already seeing with our first-party and third-party clients, uh, there are issues on the horizon. At a time when there's so much uncertainty and we're not necessarily hearing guidance from every company out there that's reporting earnings this quarter, the company's saying that it's going to see net sales from $110 billion to $116 billion, handily beating estimates that were at $108.35 mm-hmm. billion. This gets to that central question of what life looks like on the other side of the pandemic. It's something that uh, Pinterest talked about earlier this week. It's something that Twitter made reference to in its own earnings that just came out, to what extent people continue to use the products they used during the pandemic. Is Amazon to you in a different position than other companies because it's people kind of have been known to keep their habits when they when they start to use Amazon products and services? I start again with the customer and I ask myself this question. If I'm a customer and during the pandemic, all those retailers I went to before the COVID started uh, I, I wasn't interacting with those retailers. And by the way, a lot of brands who are exclusively reliant on retailers to tell their story to consumers, a lot of those brands were hurt because the retailers weren't open or the retailers didn't have well-established e-commerce in place for COVID. So I then look at the alternative. I go to Amazon. Guess what? I can find what I want on Amazon, and Amazon can market specifically to me and my needs. As a consumer, if I know that I can go somewhere – and Amazon's going to be looking out for me and suggesting products that actually are relevant to me. I can engage with the brand, uh, the brands that I want on Amazon. That's pretty enticing when every other retailer has struggled to be able to continue that discussion with consumers during COVID. Hmm. So the, the long and the short is I, I expect Amazon is going to continue to do very well post-COVID because consumers who either did or didn't have Amazon experience pre-COVID they're going to say, you know what, this experience is a whole lot more robust than anything I can get with my local retailer. Yeah, hmm. I like to go in and try stuff out, but the reality is they don't always have my color, my size, and they certainly aren't as good at making recommendations to me as Amazon is. I'm, I'm wondering about other highlights from the, the earnings report. Um, and I know you didn't necessarily work on this when you were at Amazon, um, but Amazon Web Services has certainly turned into an incredibly important part of the company's business. I mean, essentially starting out, as an experiment at the company. They invented a category there. Um, Amazon Web Services uh, revenue for the first quarter uh, beat estimates. It was $13.5 billion. Estimates were at $13.09 billion. Um, What is that telling you about how Amazon is still able to beat those estimates, even though we're seeing increased competition from Microsoft and earlier this week hearing from uh, Google as well? Well, I am definitely not an AWS expert by any means. One of the key things to keep in mind here is that as more and more companies realize that they need to have an e-commerce presence, even if they're not selling on Amazon, they need to have the backbones. They need to have the systems in place that allow them to become e-commerce relevant. And AWS helps brands to, to become more efficient. It helps them to host different types of capabilities for consumers or customers. So Amazon's going to continue to grow. The, the, the whole process of how do they communicate expectations mm-hmm. and how do they manage that? You know, that's an art that every company needs to figure out. Um, we will continue to see more and more demand for AWS. You know, I think back to my time at, at Amazon, one of the most impressive things about AWS was that 
they are aggressively going out of their way to lower prices as often as possible. That's an amazing model to have, to be in a position where you're trying to lower the cost to every consumer, or in this case, business customer. Uh, and, and that's a model that not necessarily every other cloud service company has been able to keep up with. You've got this huge competitor called Amazon. They're aggressively lowering prices regularly, and you're trying to grow to beat them, and you're faced with a lower-cost competitor uh, every month. It, it's an interesting model. So uh, at the end of the day, AWS will continue to grow. It'll continue to be a big cash cow that helps to fund other parts of the business. Um, and even if they start to slow down at some point, they are learning so much from different types of customers about how to offer better services to the next customer that needs AWS capabilities. Uh, Amazon's, Amazon's going to be a major player for decades to come in this space. James, I want to go back to something that you talked about earlier and the challenges that you potentially see Amazon having, with, specifically with the Fulfilled by Amazon program mm -hmm. later mm -hmm. this year. Uh, explain what exactly it is, and, and because I don't think consumers necessarily know that when they're ordering something on Amazon, even though it, it, it does say, and, and some consumers do look where it's coming from, it's not necessarily coming from Amazon. Many, many, many third-party sellers, uh, rather than fulfilling the orders themselves, they will ship products in bulk into Amazon's warehouses. And Amazon will actually do the order fulfillment when the customer places the order. So when you buy that product from a third-party seller on Amazon and you magically get an Amazon-branded box, that's because the box actually came from an Amazon facility. Amazon basically serves as the warehouse and storage and order fulfillment service for that third-party seller. Well, there's only so much facility space to put third-party seller inventory. And while Amazon can scale up the number of orders they fulfill, especially in Q4, uh, th there is a physical limit to how much inventory can be in a warehouse at any given point. Uh, during my time at Amazon, we regularly had to deal with situations where in Q4, whatever warehouses were available were close to capacity. Fast forward a decade, and now th there's that many more facilities, but there's that many more consumers that want products that are magically delivered to them within one day or two days. That requires Amazon to have this huge network of fulfillment centers, but also Amazon to have what they now do. They, they own the last mile delivery for somewhere north of 65 70% of all orders that are prime eligible here in the U.S. Um, that's just a massive investment of capital. It's not, a, it's not an exciting investment, but the reality is it creates a huge moat and, and advantage for Amazon relative to every other retailer and brand out there. So... Um, Good, good, good times uh, as a consumer, wanting to get stuff delivered to you fast, yeah. but it's hard for Amazon to, to make make that promise happen without continuing to scale its business. And good times for, for shareholders as well. James Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. James Thompson is a partner at Buy Box Experts. Our former business head of Amazon Services joins us on the phone from Seattle. Well, we are making our way through Twitter earnings. The company reported earnings per share and revenue just topping estimates, but shares are sinking after lackluster sales and user outlooks. Joining us now with more is Kurt Wagner, technology reporter who covers Twitter for Bloomberg News. Joining us on the phone from San Francisco, Kurt, uh, it sort of seems like there is a kind of like tale of two social media and advertising supported companies here, right? There are the uh, Facebooks and, and, and Alphabets, right? And then there are uh, the Twitters and Pinterests. Uh, what's going on with Twitter? Well, I think the biggest issue here is that Twitter has always been what's called a brand advertiser. You know, they, mm. they get the big 
uh, brands you're familiar with, the same people who are spending money on television, who like to be involved with, you know, big events like the Oscars or the Olympics, but they're not very strong when it comes to what has become the bulk of online advertising, which is this direct response advertiser, right? The small retailer who's trying to target you very specifically to get you to, you know, buy something. And so what we've seen over the last year is that that direct response has really blown up. We've seen Google and Facebook really capitalize as all these businesses have gone online. And Twitter, meanwhile, is still kind of doing the same old brand stuff that it's been doing historically. And I just don't think that it's really reaping the same benefits that some of those uh, bigger companies are. Well, shares Dow down more than 9.6% in the after hours. Is this all about guidance? I think guidance is a big part of it. Um, you know, we saw that the numbers came in almost exactly where everyone expected they would. Um, but for next quarter, they've said that uh, they gave a revenue range and the estimates are on the high end of that range. In other words, that means Twitter has to basically hit the very high end of, of what it's giving people in order to meet the expectations. So I do think that there's a little bit of disappointment there in that, you know, while we saw, again, Facebook and Google really come out and, and say, hey, not only was Q1 strong, but we're expecting a good Q2 as well. There's a really good chance that Twitter might under deliver here. Kurt, I want to go back to what you said about direct response. It got me thinking about what I see in my own Twitter timeline when it comes to ads. And, and look, full disclosure here, I spend way too much time on Twitter, more time on Twitter than pretty much any other mm -hmm. app. But one thing I noticed this week is like even until yesterday, I was still getting ads on the mobile app for the Oscars, something that ended uh -huh. on Sunday. And I'm thinking to myself, right. even before these earnings, I'm thinking to myself, why is how is Twitter to the point in 2021 not not smart enough? And I mean, when I say Twitter, I mean the app. Like, how is the app not smart enough to show me something that's more relevant? Well, it's really funny that you say that because I had that experience a few weeks ago. Uh, I started seeing ads promoting a baseball game that was over uh, huh. and had been over for a couple of days. And I was, you know, similarly disappointed, right? Like, who is paying... <laughs> to promote a live event to me that uh, is no longer live, and, and not only not live now, but has happened days ago. And I don't have a good answer for why that's the case, other than that, you know, advertisers should be maybe paying closer attention to the timelines of their campaigns, but you would think Twitter as well would, would not want to show that kind of an ad, right? It's not very relevant. It's not helpful, certainly, to you or me. And so I think that that's, uh, you know, an example of the kind of thing that they could certainly do a better job of. What about when it comes to Twitter's product, Kurt? Because you and I have talked a lot about this uh, over the last few months, that Twitter Investor Day and the way that the company uh, really changed the way that investors were thinking up until then, at least year to date, about the company's ambitions and the company's ideas for the product. The Twitter's a unique product in that it hasn't changed significantly, apart from the number of characters that you can really type out on a tweet since the, the company was started more than a decade ago. Um, what did we learn in the earnings about the, the, the company's thoughts on product? Well, that could also be, I would think, um, construed as a disappointing thing about this earnings report is that there's really not much new in here at all. Um, you know, we talked about subscriptions as being something mm -hmm. that Twitter's looking into. There's no updates on subscriptions in their shareholder letter. Um, obviously, Twitter Spaces, their audio chat room. This is the Clubhouse-like competitor, right? Right now. Yeah, it's a clubhouse competitor. It's, it's, um, I think it's actually better positioned just because there's so many people on Twitter who already have a following um, that, you know, for, for someone like me, it works better than clubhouse because I don't have to start from scratch. But again, no update in the shareholder letter about spaces either. And, and so I just think like 
the kinds of things that might get someone excited about the future of Twitter were not really mentioned in this letter. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, they're, they're kind of announcing some lackluster projections for next quarter. I think that may be a combination of, of what we're seeing here. Uh, Kurt, in 15 seconds, what are you going to be listening for on the earnings call? Uh, I am going to be listening for some of those product updates. I want to know, uh, you know, how Spaces is going. Um, are they getting interested in more M&A? And then, you know, are they getting ready for a newsletter subscription business? These are all new lines of revenue that they could have. And uh, I think that would be interesting given their, their situation with ads right now. Kurt, I know you are swamped. Thank you so much for taking the time, stepping away from crunching those numbers. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. The Kurt Wagner, technology reporter at Bloomberg News, joining us on the phone from San Francisco.